with more books available than ever before. It's becoming even harder to filter through all the noise to find an author and series that you can put your trust in. Through author interviews, audio sneak peeks, and personal reviews, we provide you with the information you need before you take a chance on your next adventure. Join us every month as we highlight an independent author and the worlds they've created. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the Indie Author Prologue. Hello and welcome to the Indie Author Prologue. I'm your host, T. Norman. For this week's episode, we'll be talking with Jeff Sabian about his book, Hey She. Now, Jeff grew up in southwest Florida, where he currently lives again. He served in the Army, being stationed in Hawaii and at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and served on multiple combat tours to Afghanistan and Iraq with the 25th Infantry Division, 82nd Airborne Division, and the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. He holds a second-degree black belt in Shito Ryu Karate and a first-degree black belt in Okinawan Kobudo. His favorite genre of books are epic fantasy, and is currently working on a series of books in this genre. Science fiction comes in as a close second, and there are plans to branch off in this direction in future books. Living in Florida, there's an obvious love for the ocean, fishing, and spending time with his family. He is married to the love of his life, Becky, and has five amazing children who help proofread his books and ensure they're appropriate for middle and high school students. Now, before we get started with the show, a few notes for you listeners. First off, I have to say, as I look at Jeff's Amazon page, the covers for his books are fantastic. Uh, they are The imagery is great, the color contrast and all of that. I'm a huge fan of them, so if you haven't, check out these covers. Some of my favorite I've seen from indie authors. When we get into the interview, we did have a little bit of internet connection between Jeff and I, so there are some parts where his audio is a little choppy. I did my best to go through edit, clean it up, and make sure you can understand him. But I just wanted to warn you ahead of time that it's not your listening device. We did have some internet connection issues. As usual, I will be back after the interview to give you information on what's next, where to find the review and a brief introduction of the sneak peek audio so with that please enjoy the interview hello jeff and welcome to this episode of the indie author prologue i'm excited to talk to you about your book hey she but i want you to kind of just start off by telling us about your author journey Uh, when did it start what was your motivation who inspired you all of that I grew up to uh, join the army and do all kinds of dumb things to myself, so, which, you know, it gives me a lot of different experiences that, um, you know, some of my soldiers have bought my books and they all appreciate some of the, the military angles that I put in there. Um, but, you know, uh, about a couple of years ago, my, my oldest daughter, she was in probably fourth or fifth grade and she started deciding she wanted to write a chapter book. Well, mm-hmm. Hey, cool. You know, I've, looked at it as she was writing it and 
was kind of trying to help edit a little bit and go, you know, honey, you can't really exactly write the way you talk, you know. So as she got it finished, she's in uh, 10th grade now. And uh, so last year we were talking and I was trying to be the supportive dad. And I said, you know, I'm reading all these books on my Kindle. I wonder what it would take to actually publish. And uh, so I looked it up and figured out all the process for the KDP. So and she still kept doing the yeah, dad, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not. So I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to finish writing the book I've been working on for a while and I'm going to publish it and I'm going to show you how easy it is. And then it kind of yeah. snowballed from there. <laughs> With Heishi and uh, the Shifting Planes series as a whole, kind of what was the inspiration behind it? Where did the story come from? Well, the original story actually is kind of a funny story. Um, I, uh, I've been taking martial arts since I was a teenager, and uh, I was actually testing for my first degree black belt with Tonfa, which are the the, um, the batons, um, mm-hmm. and my Shihan was te- testing for his fifth degree. And so while we were doing it, I was we historically they always used you know a, a bow versus whatever weapon you're using once you start doing the black belt for the um, the the sparring part of it. <clears throat> and we were talking one day, and I was like, you know, it'd be kind of stupid to use a bow because if you go with the you know historical kabuto you know story, the Japanese Japanese took away swords from the peasants, and that's where the Kabuto came from. So why would you be fighting a guy with a bow? You'd be on the same side. So he's like, ah, that's a good point. Why don't you bring your sword in here and we'll, uh, we'll work out a deal with your sword. I was like, Hey, perfect. So, you know, <laughs> we practiced with, with the Boken for, I'm talking weeks and weeks and weeks. We've been practicing with the Boken before we even went to the dull blade. And then the day of his test, we went with my live blade just because we thought it would look really cool to see, you know, if I could get a really good angle on it, maybe send a chip of wood flying across the room. It would look really cool, you know? Yeah. Um, so we made it about four or five moves into this routine. We had come up together. And uh, I came across with my blade, and I realized that he missed with his block. So I pulled it at the last second. So now my friend, the the doctor, has a scar all the way across his forehead <laughs> um, from, my, right. from my katana. <laughs> And so I wrote the story for him and I kind of, you know, obviously I made it sound way cooler than it was, you know, but I, I wrote that, the prologue for him. He's like, oh, that's cool. You got to keep it. The story came about from playing D&D with some of my guys when I was in Saudi Arabia last year. Yeah. So it developed over time as I started writing, put it aside, started again, put it aside again. And then I kind of sat down and knocked out about half of it at one time after I had a few chapters written. Well, I can definitely tell from that opening prologue, as you said, how it's very realistic, like the whole scene and the action and the combat sequence, even just hearing your story, I'm like, I can see that and how that wasn't just something you made up. That's something you kind of lived in that moment. So that's really cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously it sounds way cooler than what it really was in the dojo with, you know, two of us doing it with all our friends and family watching yeah. and I'm cutting my buddy's head open. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I've always been a real big fan of R.A. Salvatore, um, and I love the Legend of Drift series, and just the way he describes his combat scenes, that's that's where I tried to kind of take a lot of, um, you know, inspiration from that as I write, and I hope I do it justice. (laughs) So looking at the story, uh, what came first for you when you were planning out, the plot or the characters? Um, Well, the characters had already, I already had names. Mm-hmm. Um, like Aki is actually what I call my, my Shihan. Um, 
his last name is Herbst, which is um, autumn in Japanese, and Aki means autumn in Japanese. So his teacher has been t- calling him that since the 70s. Yeah. Um, so, and I just thought it sounded like a really cool name to, to include it. So he's actually got an 11 by 17 of my second book, Aki. And I, he had me blow it up into a poster and <laughs> sign it for him for his birthday this year. So, nice. and that's still his favorite cover. He's like, oh, that's the coolest one out of all, out of all the books, of course. But, um, so I had the, I had the character names and, um, and then, uh, some of the, some of the other character names I used, like I used some of my kids' middle names as the first names for the characters and, some of their video game characters as the last names, um, like Zadus is my son Zane, um, and it very much fits his personality. He's the very technical, just geeky, loves making things work, geeking yeah. out. Like that's Zane's character. Um, Tyane is my is my son Titus, um, and he he's the, always the one he who's probably going to join the army and do dumb things like his dad did. <laughs> but you know, so yeah. But yeah, so uh, so the characters I had all the names and um, some of the other characters in the books were actually my guys' characters for um, when I was in Saudi Arabia last year with the with the army mm-hmm. and uh, I'm in the reserves now. Um, left active duty a few years ago, but uh, we were in Saudi Arabia and just playing D and D because you know what else are you gonna do when there's no yeah. internet so you can't play online games. Yeah. Um. So a couple of the character names are actually from. Um, my buddies, their their D and D characters, which I kind of tweaked them a bit and you know made them made them my own. But the basic character, like I'm I'm writing it and sending it to my D and D group, going, "Hey guys, check this out! Look what I did with your character!" And they're all like, "Oh, I love it!" Yeah. Like uh, book three, Fion, that was our our uh, our DM. That was one of his characters that he played when I DM'd a, a campaign out there, and his character was Fion. So he's like, "Oh, you're gonna use it for a book? Cool, you know?" And so yeah. Yeah, kind of, kind of the characters and the plot kind of come along at the same time. I, um, with Heishi, I threw in some of the stuff that happened in the campaign, like some of the dumb things that you say to each other. So just so my my guys, when they're reading it, they're like, you know, oh, that's cool. You got to keep it. With this series, did you originally? How long did you plan for the series to be? What's kind of your uh, outlook for the whole series? Originally, I had kind of planned to keep it running kind of indefinitely mm-hmm. and um the thing that i like about the portal fantasies is that you know i thought yeah you know what at some point i can put them through another portal and make it a sci-fi setting if we want to switch to sci-fi yeah. you know if we want to take it back to earth and have orcs follow them back to earth earth we could do that um the more i thought about it <clears throat> I, I read some of the series like i, I read a lot and yeah. some of the times I've, I've noticed by the time you start getting to like book seven book eight book nine and me as a reader, I'm sitting there going, all right, hurry up. And it's taken too long for you to write the next book. And I'm waiting for the next book in your series to come out. And I kind of don't want to do that. I've already got a couple of my buddies who are um, giving me a hard time about how long it's taken me to to get to book four. Because I, I rapid release the first three. Yeah. And I just don't have time to do that in real life. Um, so now they're going, oh, when, when's when's book four going to be done? So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up with book four for this series and then you know leave it open for you know possible you know maybe do another trilogy set in the same world with some of the same characters introduce some new ones but that way you don't have readers kind of like on the hook indefinitely i I don't i don't want to do that to people and make them sit and wait for the next one when you planned this out and plotted it did you have kind of that overarching storyline that you wanted to 
continue through book four or is that kind of developed as you've written it? Um, it's actually developed an awful lot as I wrote it. Um, I, uh, I originally had kind of an idea in mind and it, like, I've always loved the whole good versus evil, you know, storyline. Yeah. Um, so toward, yeah, I think, I think even at the end of, um, at the end of book one, I even introduced the shadow elf character riding on the, you know, shadow dragon and like make him this ominous character. And then mm. as I went through and I'm, I'm writing it, um, I'm getting some feedback from some of my friends as they're reading them and, you know, I'm going, ah, that, you know what? I, that would be cool if I, you know, kind of tweak that a bit and I keep, keep changing it as I go. And, um, sometimes I don't even know where I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's part of writing. Right. Tell the listeners a little bit about the plot, the characters, kind of what's going on, but without giving away spoilers, I don't want to ruin it for anyone that might be diving into it. Right. So basic plot is, um, you know, once you get through the pro prologue, which was, you know, more just because I thought it was cool. Um, it basically starts off with a, a modern day special operations team, which um, <clears throat> I'm never going to say that I was special operations. Um, I, I was in the special operations command when I was in, when I was active duty. I've worked with a lot of Green Berets. I've worked with some really cool guys. I was the computer nerd. So like, I never want to yeah. misrepresent myself as being that guy, but um, I've been around enough of them. And one of my best friends was a, was a weapon sergeant. He was a green beret. And um, so, you know, I, I was like, you know what, that'd be kind of a cool way to, to go with it. And then what I did was I had him respond to a, uh, a nuclear threat. And then while they're in the middle of responding to it, <clears throat> they get thrown through a portal into this other world. Um, and that's where it kicks into more of a D and D type setting. So you have these guys who are, and they, and they, they all come through by themselves. So, you know, one second you're parachuting into a theme park to save the world. And the next minute you're standing in the woods after you, you know, black out after this crazy event happens. Um, and so I kind of try to just jump into like, you know, what would mentally, where would you be at? Like you're out in the woods, you're by yourself. What do you do? Um, is there a way home once they start finding, you know, running into orcs and, you know, <laughs> goblins and, you know, giant rats, like typical D and D stuff. And all of a sudden it's real. Um, I tried to really kind of focus on like where, what would you think, what would ha what would you do if that happened to you kind of thing? So as you were writing this story, was there anything about it that surprised you while you were progressing through it? Honestly, the the first book, it surprised me how easy it was. <laughs> like, yeah. And, which sounds kind of kind of arrogant a little bit to say, but at the same time, like, I don't know if it's just because I'd had so many ideas over the years, and you know, I jot things down here and there and everywhere, and you know, and I see all the all the uh, you know the discussions about whether you should be whether you should come out with an outline or are you a pantser? Do you write by the seat of your pants? Hey, she is a hundred percent written by the seat of my pants. I have, I have a note Like I use the notes app on my, on my iPhone and on the iPad and everything. And, yeah. um, that way when I wake up at two in the morning, I can roll over and hopefully not wake up the wife and I can make a note and like, Hey, that would be really cool. You know, it's something I was thinking about. Um, and I had so many of those notes and then as I went, I just kind of like plugged them in to make them fit. But it, it surprised me how easy the first book was. And all of a sudden I was like, and uh, I was talking to another author who I, who I met 
and he's he's giving me a word count and everything and i'm like oh okay well man that seems like forever and then i look up and i'm like whoa i'm over what he said i even need um and then when i went back and edited i kind of chopped out some of the stuff that i made it may have thrown in there but it, it uh it surprised me with the first one how how easy and then I went to the second one, and it surprised me how hard it was to, <laughs> to do the second book. <laughs> oh, there it is. So, yeah, well, you know, you got to make sure everything everything fits, and you can't have you don't want to have a, a Star Wars moment and go back to the prequels where all of a sudden they're having a conversation that doesn't fit the original trilogy. So I'm making massive amounts of notes in my own world, and uh, yeah, each each successive book has gotten um, much harder to do to try and keep all the the facts straight where the first one I was just like, I was trying to limit the number of characters. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I've, I've read a couple books, you know, where you get too many characters thrown at you all at once and you don't remember who anybody is. So yeah. I kind of really tried to keep a basic, you know, minimum number of characters, basic group. Like you got to have a healer, got to have a tank, you know, <laughs> like th- that kind of thing in there. Um, and then, uh, so basically my biggest concern was what did I say that guy was wearing again? You know, and, <laughs> but, but then by the time I get to the second book, I'm trying to make events from the first one fit into the second one. And they're all happening at the same time in different locations before they meet back up with each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, then I, I, once I started messing with my timeline, it, it definitely got way harder. Yeah. I can relate to that. Looking at kind of the title and the cover, that's one thing for me that always draws me into a book. The cover is the first thing I look at, and then the title. Is there any sort of secret meaning with it or hidden meaning maybe, or is it just a cool cover and title? Basically, uh, and I, I got to give a good shout out to uh, Christian from Covers by Christian. Um, he's amazing. He's done all four of the covers for my for the series so far, and each yeah. one just keeps getting better. Um, and so really he basically, when I was introduced to him, he just said, okay, um, tell me about the book. And I said, well, there's this guy, Heishi, and he's got the sword that, you know, I can activate with green lightning that comes off the blade, you know, and, um, he's wearing a cloak and they're out in the woods and there's a mountain. He's like, okay, shut up. I got it. And like, and he, and he (laughs) ran with it and just kind of, and I had, I was like, well, I had some ideas and he's like, okay, well, let me do this. Cause I had a great idea. I, he's like, I was going to do something, but I came up with a better idea. So let me do this. And if you don't like it, then tell me what you want. And I was like, Hey, that works for me. Cause I can, I, I like writing, but when it comes to the visual part, I'm like, I need a professional. So, um, basically it just kind of incorporated what I told him about the story and the character. Um, and then as far as the name, um, that's actually a nickname that my buddy Aki gave me was Heishi. It means soldier in Japanese. Um, so I just, I, I thought it kind of fit the character at that point. You know, they're all soldiers and they're going through and, um, yep. but he doesn't want to give out his real name at first. Cause he doesn't even know where he is. And, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to give away his, so he, he just uses a nickname to kind of hide out. And so he just starts have everybody call him Heishi and it just kind of went from there. Looking at this series as a whole, what would you say is kind of the key overarching theme? Um, I, I'm definitely a huge fan of good versus evil. Um, I, I've always loved superhero movies, comic books. You know, star, I grew up on Star Wars. I, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I got to see a couple of them live in the theater, you know, the, the original trilogy. Um, you know, got to throw that in there. But um, 
you know, I, I've always just loved the whole good versus evil. Like, you know, sometimes it might look bad, but, you know, the good guy's going to win in the end. Um, and then as I progressed through the books, I, I, I really liked you. I, I, once again, going back to R.A. Salvatore, I love how he used the legend of Drist with the drow. And, you know, he's supposed to be hated. And now, granted, he's the only one who's not evil out of his entire race for at least the first 20 books or so anyway. But, you know, I kind of I was like, you know what, that'd be kind of cool to incorporate that. So, I, you know, I started off Heishi with with the one shadow elf because um, I thought that'd be cool. I figured if I went drow, they're too um, well written already. So if I, it would limit me to what I what I could do with them. Like, um, I think there, once or twice I have uh, I have my drow or my shadow elf on here. Shadow step. You know, I didn't want anybody to read the book and go, well, drow can't do that. So, you know, I was like, yeah, let me go a different way so I, I can have a little bit more flexibility. Um, but I kind of took the whole drow aspect of it. Like, you know, everybody hates them. They're, they're the shadow elves. They're evil. And um, except for this one. And then as the, as the story progressed, and then the, I, I built it up to a, a war um, in book, book three. And then it, I, I kind of started tweaking stuff just because it, it wasn't as much fun to just go, okay, orcs bad. Elves good, you know. Yeah. So I had to had to blur that line a little bit as I went. So it's definitely good versus evil, but you know, who is good exactly again? Yeah. <laughs> you know? One thing I really like to do while reading is I kind of picture actors and actresses as the characters just to kind of help me visualize it. So I always think of if this was a movie, who would I want to play this character? Or who would I picture as it? Have you thought about that at all? Are there any characters you would cast with someone? Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to kind of sound dumb, but I, I kind of picture a young Chuck Norris for Heishi. Um, just because he's got that the whole martial arts thing. Um, you know, he did Delta Force when I was a kid, and I, 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 I grew up watching Chuck Norris, and he was awesome, you know? And like, long before walker texas ranger you know i'm thinking like the octagon and you know delta force he was he was amazing and yeah um yeah that that'd be cool i'm i honestly can't picture a, a modern actor who would quite do young chuck norris justice but i'm sure somebody could um and then for for aki um because he, he my friend like i i wrote him he read it and he was like, okay, yeah, you got me. Like on top of, you know, him wanting to kill everything and, you know, be the tough guy and win all the fights. Um, as he was reading it, like I, he's the king of dad jokes. He throws, he, he just says dumb stuff at the most in, inappropriate moments. You know, while he's teaching a karate class, he's up there cracking jokes and, you know, the kids are looking at him like, I don't get it. You know, um, puns, dad jokes, that's him. And so I, I was thinking, like you know, Chris Pratt, Ryan Reynolds, so, somebody along that lines would be would be yeah. perfect for that role. They are all about the dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I've noticed is that with readers, a lot of the times they maybe interpret something wrong or misread something or get confused. So is there anything about your story that people have gotten confused on that you want to clear up, or that you just want to make sure they know? Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's funny. My my mom, when when I wrote the first book, she she goes, "Oh, you wrote fantasy." She's like, "I suppose I should buy one to be supportive of my kid." You know, <laughs> and I'm going, "Mom, I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not a teenager. If you don't want to buy it, you don't have to buy it." She's like, "No, yeah. I better buy one." Um, 
so she went on and she got it and like the the question she kept asking me and and by by the end of book three she's like yelling at me about people that i killed and everything she's like you can't do that you gotta go back and fix that and she's you know, <laughs> been like she's all into it and she keeps asking me when book four is going to come out so you know yeah. it kind of it's kind of nice that you know i get it it's my mom but at the same time my mom is the little old church lady like she doesn't read about orcs and goblins and all of a sudden she's into these books but she kept asking me you know at the book because I have at one point um, he meets up with one of the guys from the team and uh, he's only been there a couple, and Heishi's been there a couple of days and the other guy you know Tyane he shows up and and he comments like that was a couple months ago or you know something to that effect and my mom's like no you can't do that how how has he been there for a couple months he's only been here a couple of days and I I keep telling her I'm like mom just keep reading you know <laughs> like just keep reading each each book it kind of explains a little bit better and a little bit better as as they start um, running into more characters from their team and they start linking back up together and finding out the situation for how they landed there. Um, like just, just keep going. Don't, you know, don't take one thing and, and try to make it change your whole worldview. Like it, it makes sense. Eventually just keep going. Well, that brings us to the end of my questions here. Um, where can readers and listeners find you? Where's the best place that they can keep in contact and know what's going on and when book four comes out um my i have uh the my mailing list is posted on my website jeff uh jeffsabian.com s-a-b-e-a-n um or you know if you go on amazon you can follow authors and it automatically emails you when when uh, new releases come out um i'm on i'm also on facebook um it's jeff sabian author facebook that you know facebook slash jeff sabian author um and uh, I, I try to stay on there pretty regularly. I, I do IT work in real life, so mm -hmm. I have plenty of time to um, have Facebook open when I'm working. Just don't tell my boss. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I stay I stay pretty pretty current on there, and I you know posting memes if I have nothing else to say anyway. Um, yeah. Anything D and D related that makes me laugh. But uh, I try to post updates and links to the books and everything else on there. Well, I'll link all of that in the show notes so it's easy for listeners to find for sure. Well, thank you, Jeff, for taking time to talk today. Yeah, I was just going to say there's no uh, there's no Audible yet, though. I'm still working that one out. That's the big one once you get there. Yeah. If I can, I'm pretty sure if I could come up with the money to, to get the first one done, I'd make the money to do the other ones. But that's a pretty big yep. price tag just to get the uh, the first one narrated So. It's a lot, but it's it's a good market to get into for sure. Definitely. Well, thanks again for taking the time to talk today. I hope our listeners learn something about you, about your book, and that they can go grab their own copy and enjoy the story as much as I did. Thanks. I appreciate it. I hope all of you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Sabian. I know that I learned a lot and I could definitely see some of the realism in the writing and the combat that he described. I encourage you to check out his book, Hey She. You can find it on Amazon with links in the show notes. And as usual, there is a review of Hey She online currently at jntpress.com reviews. Links in the show notes. After we are done here, I will have a sneak peek audio of Hey She. Before we get to that, I want to warn you that this audio is not from the beginning of the book. It is actually from a chapter in the third act of the story. 
While there are no major spoilers in this audio, it does reveal some relationships that develop. So listen with caution, knowing that part of the story will be revealed. But again, there are no major spoilers, but it's a great action sequence later in the book. Make sure you like, review, comment, and tell your friends about this show if you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy this sneak peek audio, and we'll see you next month for the next episode of Indie Author Prologue. It is an empty cavern, although I admit I cannot see the ceiling. There are three tunnels that continue, two on the left side and one in the back right corner. From the air currents I could feel, the tunnel on the right leads deeper underground. The first on the left had no airflow, which usually implies another cavern past it, and the far left leads upward. The goblin said Zgel is deep under the mountain. I would recommend the path to the right. The group agreed, and Shenrock and Yutri led the way into the cavern. Deciding to err on the side of caution, Slow and Tyan stayed to the left and right of Heishi, walking him through the darkness rather than lighting the shield again. Halfway around the edge of the cavern, a primal roar broke the silence, followed by a screeching sound from above. Galad! Dyslow shouted, and his shield blazed with a purple light that immediately stole the darkness. Swooping toward them from above, the companions saw three giant bats with orcs riding on their backs. The bats wore crude armor that covered their torso, and the orcs wielded spears and wore a mixture of chain and leather armor with spikes protruding from the shoulders. They wore helmets with horns that protruded from both sides, and they screamed their war cries as the bats descended on the intruders. Dyslow angled his shield toward the attackers, half-closed his eyes, and whispered, Dane, creating an area of silence around the beast as they swooped in, the first orc jabbing at him and connecting solidly with his shield. The impact rocked the elf back on his heels, but the silence held, containing all sound. The bat beat its wings and moved out of range as Dyslow swung his flail in response, just catching one of its legs and disrupting its balance. The beast hovered in mid-air above him for a moment as it angled for another attack, its orc rider clearly screaming but unable to produce any sound. Heishi, excited to finally be able to see, smoothly pulled his katana from the seiya, igniting the green electricity inherent to the blade as he brought it into a defensive position in front of him. Purple and green shadows bounced around the walls of the cavern as the second bat flew toward the new source of light. It proved to be a fatal mistake, as the crude armor that the bat wore could not protect it from his blade. As the bat closed, mouth open in a shriek of anger, Heishi dropped to his knees, slashing the bottom jaw from the beast and continuing the cut down its midsection, spraying intestines and blood across the floor as it crashed into the wall, quite dead. The orc rider leapt clear of the wall before his mount crashed into it, putting himself into a clumsy but effective roll as he landed to absorb some of the impact. He swung around and hurled the spear at Heishi, who deftly picked it out of the air with the side of his blade, deflecting it harmlessly away from the group. The orc, as the spear flew towards his prey, pulled a club, with spikes stuck through the head of it from next to his saddle, on the bat, and charged Heishi, his face a mask of fury. He only made it a few steps before he stopped in mid-run, a thrown mithril warhammer smashing into his chest and crumpling him to the floor. Heishi looked towards Yutri, who rushed the orc, mouth open and clearly singing a battle song in the silence. He retrieved his hammer, 
turned to toss Haishi a wink, then spun and slammed into the skull of the shattered orc. The third bat rider, seeing Dyslow squared off with the first, came around his backside, attempting to take out the dangerous elf. The bat was poised to swoop in for the kill when a flash of light appeared from the right, and it suddenly jerked to the left, falling twenty feet to the ground, quite dead. As the shocked orc crashed to the floor, it had only a moment to look around the cavern for the source of the attack. He made eye contact with Tyan, just as he dropped his rifle, ignited the green flames of his commas, and threw his right-hand weapon. Running toward the orc as the comma spun through the air, he closed the distance a moment after the blade struck the orc, digging into his shoulder and continuing to burn. The shocked orc yanked free the comma, which immediately doused the flame, and swung it at the puny human rushing toward him. Tyan slid under the swipe of his weapon, causing the blade to retract into the handle with a thought, and buried his second blade into the stomach of his opponent. A confused expression passed over the face of the doomed orc as it stared at the seemingly harmless wooden handle he now held. He turned it toward his face, and Tyan caused the blade to spring back from the handle, igniting the flame and watching it bury itself in the orc's face. Grinning at the stupidity of the creature, he wrenched both blades free and turned back to the general melee around him. The first bat rider, seeing his companions die swiftly and easily, attempted to break contact with Dyslow and return to the safety of the darkness above. Not out of tricks yet, Dyslow used his shield to launch a glowing purple web at the bat, which stuck the left wing to its body, causing it to fall to the floor, alive but stunned. The orc rider leapt from the back of the crumpled bat, retrieving a two-handed axe from the saddle of the bat. Shenrock dashed in, his claymore flashing in the artificial lights produced by his companions. The larger orc blocked his first swing, redirecting the weight of the blow to its left as it stepped to the right. No novice to battle, Shenrock recovered from the wild swing and turned toward his opponent, stopping the swing of its axe with his own blade. As he held the axe in place, struggling against the superior strength of the full-blooded orc, he kicked out with his right leg, connecting solidly with his opponent's kneecap and shattering it. The orc stumbled back, silently howling in pain, and dropped to its good knee. Expecting the trap, Shenrock came on in fury anyway, an overhead swing of his claymore aimed directly for the orc's skull. Before the orc could respond, he released the blade, allowing it to be batted harmlessly aside by the orc's axe, pulling both daggers from his sides and burying them in either side of the orc's neck. He stared his opponent in the eyes as the realization that a half-breed had just killed him then ripped both blades free as he kicked the orc in the chest, the serrations tearing chunks from its flesh and the body dropping harmlessly to the floor. He returned his blades to their sheaths, retrieved his claymore, and turned back to the main group, prepared for more bloodshed. As Shenrock battled the orc, Dyslow smiled, slowly walking toward the bat. He spun the ball of his flail around as he walked, staring the beast in the eye as it attempted to break free of the web. As he came in range, the bat swiped at him with a free claw, which he batted to the side with his shield, then buried the flail in the skull of the bat. Sighing, he turned to see the fight was over and removed his silence from the area. You are full of surprises, elf. Glad you are on our side, Heishi exclaimed as he realized he could speak and be heard. What was that? A simple ability I learned to cover an area in complete silence. I typically use it to cover the cries of the wounded until I can assist them. It is discomforting to other wounded soldiers to hear the screams of their companions. In this case, 
I assumed we still wanted stealth on our side. I can only hope I enacted the silence before others heard the cries of these two, he finished, kicking the bat he had just dispatched. I still am enchanted by these weapons you and your friend carry which kill from such distances. An arrow from a longbow would have had difficulty reaching that bat from where Tyan was kneeling and would not have killed it with a single shot. He looked expectantly at Heishi, waiting for a response as Shenrock and Yutri crowded him, also wanting to learn the source of his power. They are called guns, and are the weapon of choice in our world. We only train with martial weapons as a discipline. We happen to have them this time because of the nature of the mission we were carrying out. He removed a magazine from its pouch on his belt, and removed a bullet from the magazine. This is a bullet. Inside the casing is a black powder that burns at high temperature, and when compressed, it will cause an explosion. The explosion from the powder propels the projectile from the front of the round, and if it is encased in a gun... The barrel of the gun will direct the projectile. The problem we have here is that, when we run out of bullets, our guns will be useless, which is why I have only used my pistol once since I arrived here. Tyan is what we call a sniper, and is a master at remaining hidden for days at a time to take a single shot to kill his intended target. As far as I am aware, he does not miss. Ever. His rifle carries more power than my pistol, and that is why he uses it from long distances to kill quickly and efficiently. You would be amazed how far that kid can shoot. As he finished explaining, the other three nodded in appreciation. Is there any way to make more of these bullets here in our world? Shenrock inquired. If we have the right components, it would not be difficult. When we have some time, Tyan and I can search for the right components to make the black powder. If we do that, we can reload the brass casings of the bullets. Creating the casings would be quite an intricate procedure, and I'm not sure we would be able to do that here, Heishi answered. Dwarves can build anything, Yutri stated as he puffed up his chest with pride. He leaned over to Shenrock and whispered, what is this intricate? Then blushed as he realized everyone heard his question. Intricate means too tiny for your hands, you oaf, Shenrock stated as he attempted to keep a straight face. Dwarves can build anything, but that is pretty small. We may be able to hire a gnome to put it together if you can find the components required, Dyslow responded, smiling at the dwarf. As they discussed the possibility of manufacturing more bullets, Tyan returned with his rifle slung across his back again. Grinning sheepishly at being the center of attention, he stepped to the side of Heishi and waited patiently for the conversation to end. Let us continue before anyone discovers this mess. We have been lucky so far, but I fear it will get very bloody very soon, Heishi said, gesturing to Shenrock to again take the lead. Dyslow dimmed the light of his shield and waited for Shenrock to lead them to the tunnel to the right before proceeding. As they walked across the remainder of the cavern, Heishi asked, What were you yelling at the beginning of the fight? Galad is the elvish word for light, and Dane is elvish for silence. As I explained, there are no magic words or incantations necessary for the art. However, some of the more difficult abilities I have learned take more focus than others. In the heat of battle, I often revert to the elvish tongue and speak the words to help me focus on what I want to accomplish, and it has served me well. Heishi walked in silence for a few paces, then nodded. Do you think that could help me learn how to use the art? It cannot hurt, my friend. But do not rush. It may take some time for you to discover what you are capable of. Many are never able to at all, so do not be discouraged. Just be patient and learn what you may. 
Dicelow responded with a sense of finality. Now we must be silent. Sound carries long distances down here. If we are lucky, the initial battle cries will echo so no stupid orcs are able to follow the sound. But, in the depths, orcs and goblins are the least of our concerns. Let us hope nothing hungry comes looking for us.